This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Fox creeping forward. He pulls up. 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nibalia, Bialica. Yes, we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Habanowski on here, as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, this has been a nice little Thanksgiving. Uh, finally got a little break in after all the crazy uh, news after the draft, after the rush of free agency. It's, it's, I feel like we're chilling out a little bit and uh, got to relax a little bit. It's nice. Yeah, it is. You know, we don't have long before basketball is really starting up again. Training camp's already going on, and we're not far from preseason, and it looks like Sacramento's got pretty close to a uh, roster that they feel like they're going to go into the season with, right? It's what it's looking like. Yeah, I think they're actually at 20 players, which is the maximum you can be at um, going into training camps, if I'm not mistaken, so... Uh, obviously, you know, at least three of those will be cut to get down to the 15 plus two maximum there. Um, you know, it could be Vince Edwards, could be uh, Metu, could be Quentin Rose. I think those are probably the candidates, the leading candidates. But, yeah, um, certainly still, you know, anything could happen. You know, I, 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 would, I would hope that something does. I would love to see, like, a breaking news. Like, Monty McNair has – made a trade. I would, I would just, like, love to see more moves be made. But, yeah, I was thinking we could just kind of talk more about free agency. Um, I know Greg came on and filled in for me, and you guys broke down the sort of the basics or, like, the first impressions of free agency and gave it a grade. I think, did you both go, like, C-minus on, on the free agency? On free agency itself was a C-minus, yeah, for both yeah. of us. Yeah, and that's not surprising since we, we all we all, you know, chat a little bit uh just to ourselves as well. I actually gave them a C minus myself, uh, in an article that came out for the Sacramento Bee today. And uh, I think it's a pretty good breakdown of, of each individual move, um, each signing, each uh not signing. Um so 
I, I would encourage anyone that's listening to to please check out my work over there at the B for a further explanation. But today I want to get even further because there's like further things that confuse or or intrigue me about this offseason that I want to I want to like really um, focus in on. And and the way that I've kind of chosen to set this up, I've pulled out like seven comments that I've seen on Twitter, that I've seen on the Kings Herald uh, comment section, that I've seen from other Kings writers, from other Kings bloggers, other Kings podcasters. I found like seven different things that I, I think are really commonly said, seven kind of theories about this offseason that I don't agree with and that I want to kind of examine. I'm not like, to be clear, I'm not like mad at this offseason. C-minus is better than probably anything Vlade ever did. So I see like the reason for optimism, but I also see a lot of people maybe giving this team a little too much credit. And I want to just take this time with you to kind of assess and and really put to scrutiny how much credit McNair deserves so far. And I just want to say so far, because again, a trade can come through right now, Wojbaum, that turns this into an A offseason. I, I really think that's true. Yeah, this will be interesting because to me, I kind of feel like when it comes to just the offseason signings and free agency specifically, that it really, I'm kind of in the train of thought that it can't either hurt or benefit the team all that much in the long term, since a lot of these are short-term, small uh, financial commitment deals. And you would think the people that take that small money are also fine with a smaller role. And I think that's where it could go downhill a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of dive into to both ends of it there. Yeah. And I mean, let's, let's just actually start like with that before I even get into like my list. Is there any one thing that can be that devastating? You know, like, I, I mean, I'm just thinking about all the Kings contracts, all like the terrible deals that Vlade Divac signed. And and many GMs before him, like they're not really that disastrous at the end of the day, right? Like George Hill, terrible contract, got a second rounder for it, right? Um, yeah, got Iman Shumpert for it, which you know also controversial, I guess. Uh, Zach Randolph, yeah, he, he played for a season and it wasn't a good season, but then you know he was used as a trading chip to get to Harrison Barnes's salary which is another kind of controversial, is this a good salary, yes or no, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, you know, we just saw Russell Westbrook being traded for John Wall, like two of, like, the, quote, most untradeable contracts in the league. Like, deals are made. Like, I, I just don't even know, like, you know, Kevin Love, we talk about, like, having all this terrible deal, and, oh, uh, we you know, maybe we'd take Kevin Love if they'd send, like, a, a couple first-rounders with him. It's like, I don't know that that really happens anymore. What, that there are deals that are just kind of, like, untradeable? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, is there is there, like, what would be the deal that McNair made that could even make, could make that, like, would have been, like, oh, this is an F, you know? Yeah, I mean, it would have been, you know, just giving a full MLE to, I mean, a white side type of character, right, that, it, but you know, the difference in, in being the minimum obviously would be an expected lower role. So if he were to give a minimum to a veteran guy that's not going to 
change the difference much, but then it's going to take a bunch of developmental minutes away from Bagley, then I think that that could have been an issue. And I guess you still could have that on your hands, but I think our expectations are that some of these guys are lower in the rotation because of a minimum deal. So that shouldn't really be too much of a, of a problem, but I mean, you're right. There's no like clear guy that could have been the overpay, but I think that just not going out and do that, doing that is, it is a good thing. I don't I don't think there's like a bomb chance for this offseason, but there's also no home run swing or scenario where this is just, you know, you knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I agree. I like I don't think there's any chance for this free agency to be an F or an A. Like I just don't with no cap space, you know, I, I just don't like the worst thing you could possibly do is like a Dwayne Deadman type of thing. And even that, like wouldn't have been the end of the world that, you know, the Kings signed him for 13 million and got off of him pretty easy, you know? Yeah. But you still don't want to have to do that. You know, like you can, if you need to, but you'd rather not put yourself in that situation in the first place. Like Sacramento has enough contracts. They have to worry about wheeling and dealing this season. No, for sure. But again, that's I'm saying like you, it is such a small margin. It just like the worst case scenario is really not that bad. Right. In the best case scenario, like say you got, I don't know, Derek Jones Jr. or whatever for the MLE, you know, even that, like say you get a good young player for the MLE, even that's probably not like a home run. Yeah, it's not. I mean, like relatively compared to what was available, I guess it would have been. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't change much of the direction of the franchise or anything like that. Yeah. So we're working within tight margins here. Like, uh, we agree there is no chance for like a true disaster and there's no chance for um, something revolutionary necessarily unless you start getting like really out of the box with inventive trades or, you know, he, you know, McNair makes some, some insane, you know, cutting edge deal to, I don't know, dump a bunch of salary, but also get a future first round pick. Like that's, that's probably the worst thing you could do, right? Like if you pull a Vlade and your first move in is trade a future unprotected first round pick, that's, that's an F. Yeah, absolutely. No way that should happen with this young team. And, and maybe an A is getting, like, a future first-round pick um, somehow, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, if you're able to get something for Buddy Barnes, I guess. Which, by the way, by the way, on this last episode, I was in the middle of doing all this editing, and you threw, and I was panicking because our faces weren't working on this live stream, and you threw me this Buddy question on if I'd sell him for nothing into Nick's cab space, and I said yes. And yeah. <laughs> I have to backtrack on this for sure because I've gone the opposite direction all the time. You've been pushing a second rounder, and I think that you can get an okay return for Buddy. So I just need to backtrack on that a little bit here because I was in the middle of editing and, yes, didn't fully hear what was going on. So my bad for misspeaking there. And I wasn't – I listen, let's be clear. I, I've never condoned getting, like, a any second rounder for Buddy Heald. I, I for a long time said that I think his value – is a late first rounder. It's like a pick in the 20s. Yeah. And it, at, to push to an extreme to a hot take, I said, I'd, I'd take pick 31. You know, like, and that's, right. and I'm getting to an extreme there. But that's always been my kind of range. And there's, we've actually done episodes of this podcast. It would be fun to go find them and like clip a little bit of it. Uh, I bet I could do that after this. Of like, we, I think we came down on like, you know, pick 24 or something being like reasonable value mm-hmm. for healed. But. But, yeah, I but if, Mc, yeah. if McNair could pull a first for, you know, even totaling out of all these assets when you're really looking at, 
healed uh, Bielitsa. I don't know if Corey Joseph is going to have any value, but like if you can ship out everything and get something close to what equals a first back in value uh, totality, then I think you know that that's a pretty much a good use of of the trade assets you have this season. I agree, and that leads really well into number one on my list. So this is again like seven theories debunked hopefully i'm going to try to debunk these um the first one is one i hear a ton all the time like 10 10 mentions a day on my on my twitter account uh bogdanovich could not have gotten the kings an asset i see this every day i saw it like five minutes before we started recording another person hit my mentions with this can we agree this is nonsense yeah, I mean, Bogey had you an asset in DiVincenzo that Milwaukee values. I mean, DiVincenzo's closing games for a championship team. Like, that's a valuable asset. And, it, you know, even getting something lesser than DiVincenzo, I, yes, yes, I disagree with that for sure. Yeah, so we can move on from this one pretty quickly. But I just, I don't want, if if you're a Kings fan and you want to be kind and generous and optimistic about the Kings, please do that. But let's not say that Bogdanovich couldn't have gotten the Kings an asset. There was that trade that you just mentioned set up for him. There was an even earlier trade that was discussed and seemed to be the first beginning framework of the deal, which would have been a first-round pick for Bogdanovich. Um, And he would have gotten his $18 million payday. So it's not even at that $18 million, the Bucks, the original discussion, this is from Bleacher Report, was to pay him $18 million per and give the Kings a first for that. And that's, that's a construction that, like, we've even discussed. Like, you know, it's like the Brogdon construction. Exactly, yeah. Right. So, like, you could have gotten a first for, for Bogdan Bogdanovich, and not doing so is, is a, it's, a, it's a bad job. I mean, like, I, I know that there's extenuating circumstances around it and the leak and all that stuff, but, you know, and what ended up happening is the Bucks went for Drew Holiday over Bogdanovich, and I guess understandably, but that type of value was out there for Bogdanovich at the contract that you decided not to pay. So that hurts me. And, like, also I just want to throw out why everyone's going to be like, well, no, because he would have gotten a no-trade clause and he wouldn't be able to be traded right away. You know, waiting the 60 days or whatever it is, I think I think it's normally 90 days. Now it's 60 days in this compressed season. It wouldn't have been that big of a deal to just match, wait 60 days, try to find another suitor. Maybe you don't get a first, maybe not quite, but maybe you get a young player, you know, a DiVincenzo level player, whatever. So, anyway, I just want to move on from that, but but let's that's debunked. Check. Yeah, <laughs> it's the that. clear negative of the offseason, and it's also probably the most notable move. Okay, so number two, and this one's related. Uh, the first three are kind of about Bogdanovich, and we can kind of breeze through them. But number two, keeping Bogdanovich would have hurt Tyrese Halliburton. Do you think that this is true? No, I just think that, you know, I mean, there's a thin, like, point guard spot right now, and I think you could have got more minutes with Halliburton and Bogey as kind of both your guards. I, I don't think it hurts Halliburton because you know the idea is you still end up trading bogey and I mean with how short uh how short of amount of time that the rookies have had to kind of adjust to their new franchises Halliburton's gonna have a little bit of a learning curve anyways I I don't think it would have hurt him he would have had less minutes but long term I don't think that's too big of an issue 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it would have hurt him at all. I don't even know if it would have given him less minutes. Like, I, I you know, this is kind of Omer Khan's theory from the Kings Herald, but, you know, he's he was saying, you know, just match him and, and play a three-guard lineup. Like, play Buddy at the three or Bogey at the three. Like, that works really well for me. Um, I, I don't really think it would have affected his minutes or hurt him. Honestly, to like, if we're really going full debunk on this, I think it would have helped him. Um, he would have had a player that's a uh, like a like who's really good at what he does, like really good, really high level guy, there to kind of help mentor him potentially. I don't want to say helped or hurt either way, but I just want to say I'll say this: it, I don't think that it would have hurt him. I don't want to say that. Yeah. I, I don't know how their relationship would have been. I don't know that Bogdanovich would have been able to like make him better necessarily. Um, I saw a bunch of speculation that like you know he's the perfect guy to teach a young guy how to, you know, shoot and handle the ball and pass and play make, but I don't think it would have hurt. Yeah, it's funny. I think what you're describing right now is kind of how I feel about some of these veteran signings that were brought on, specifically the the Glenn Robinson signing, how it relates to uh, Woodard. Yeah, that's interesting. And Jeffries a little bit, but, yeah, no, I'm – That's yeah. interesting because I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Um I'm going to get to that in a little bit, so we can stay that. Okay, good. But, yeah. All right, number three, not matching Bogdan and Bogdanovich helps flexibility. I think that this is untrue. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess the idea would be down the line because it's not helping you with any financial flexibility right now. And at the same time, I mean, Bogey, the ideas would have been traded by then, right? So he would have been off your books anyways. Right. So that number one, we know it doesn't help flexibility this season. Like that's we put that to bed. It's just a fact. Um number two is that actually having a contract that size gives you an additional option for trades. So you know you have another way to to alter your roster. Um, so say like in this construction with the first round pick from Milwaukee, it was going to be, you know, you take on, uh, Eric Bledsoe's contract, you get a first round pick and you can continue to stair step down like that if you wanted to. Right. So like say that we can get an asset for Bogdanovich and a couple of contracts of like $10 million each, right. Then maybe you flip another one. Um, it's just provide low KC. Yeah. Right. So like, in terms of like what flexibility is, you you would have had more trade chips, you would have had more opportunity, you would have had more assets, and you would have not you would not you would have the same amount of cap space. So yeah, like the only way that it helps flexibility maybe is if you're talking about two or three years from now when you have literal cap space, right? And then right. does it really help you like what? Who is the guy that you're going after to like sign in that space? And how? And is that player better than Bogdanovich? I don't have free agents two two years in front of me off the top of my head, but I think that you know there is a situation where Sacramento, you know, say, um, you know, a, a, a good situation for me this year is that they kind of lose out this season and end up with a 
you know, if we want to go full dream scenario, I end up with Cade Cunningham, and then all of a sudden are a more attractive spot to some up-and-coming free agent um, that maybe they can throw a restricted offer on or or things like that, but they're probably around a Bogdanovich level, and I'm talking about, you know, a case where Sacramento kind of lucks out with a top three lottery pick. Um, so that's the only situation where I see them as an attractive, even relatively uh, free agent destination. So is this this is in like two years or three years? Yeah, pretty much like, you know, the rookie that comes in this following draft is the star of the team, and then he has one year under his belt, and someone sees a direction. I mean, that's hard for me to imagine, personally. Like, Right, it, it's total optimism. And, and it's also, like, again, that's operating under the assumption you could not have traded contracts between now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I Personally, it's like, it's hard for me to imagine the Kings using cap space well. In general, so, <laughs> Fair so like if that's it's it's like oh we're in a much better place, just not having talent. I just I can't imagine even when you like do get the talent right. So like even if even if we see the Kings create a bunch of cap space and then try to use it, I, it's hard for me to imagine the player that they're using it on being better than Bogdanovich and better than the asset you could have gotten for Bogdanovich. Yeah, like no, not, I'm with yeah. you there. It's not like Brandon Ingram, like those types of guys. They don't, you know, the you know you mentioned an offer sheet. Like the really good guys, they they don't leave. Like their yeah. offers get get matched, no doubt. And then like right, you'd be talking above Donovan's level player. Above Donovan's level player, like that's the best case scenario is you get that talent back one day. So personally, I I don't think that not matching on Bogey helped flexibility at all. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I laid out like pretty much the one scenario where maybe it does. Um, but I, I mean, I'm yeah, 100% would have preferred to have been swapping them for an asset and then keep kind of like utilizing those that you bring in. Okay, I agree. There's, I guess, there's a chance. There's like a a small small chance that we somehow get Kate Cunningham and then somehow I don't know someone slightly better than Bogdanovich wants to be a king. Right, or just fits the timeline better. Yeah, like I, so. John Collins was the name I was going to bring up. Center. We were talking about him uh, in a group chat recently. It's like you know, like is that the kind of guy you're throwing the bag at? I, uh, not no. I mean, I guess it's that probably level of guy, but I don't like Collins personally. That's the name that I keep seeing, and it's like if that's the plan, I think you just end up paying more money to a worse player. And if, yeah, that's repetitive with Bagley. Yeah, like you just still would have been better off keeping Bogdanovich. Anyway, yeah, um, I'll move on to the next one. We're out of Bogdanovich talk here. Um, this is something that I see everyone saying, and I just couldn't agree. I couldn't disagree with it more. There is no risk. Number four, there is no risk in signing Whiteside, Kaminsky, and Glenn Robinson. Okay, so what is the risk? The money that you're locking up with them, like them being unhappy? It's definitely not money. Um, like I agree from a pure salary cap standpoint, there's no risk. But 
again, like with a team like Sacramento, whose money were you know money works differently in Sacramento than it does anywhere else. I don't think it's about the money. Um, this is something that Tony Zoteris of the Kings Herald brought up, and I think it's a fascinating point. You know, he says like I he said on Twitter he's like, you know, I suspect that the reason that Glenn Robinson in particular was his example, but I think you can apply it to other guys as well. I suspect the reason they chose Sacramento other, over other options for a minimum is that there is a significantly better opportunity for playing time. Um, and perhaps I will speculate this, and I have no problem doing this because I, in my heart I believe that this is very realistic, that there could be a, a straight-up promise of playing time. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The Robert Griffin one specifically, I think, like you're saying, Tony pointed out, is the one that makes sense to me because the Robert other teams, Griffin. I believe, he was watching, watching sorry. the uh, uh, Ravens yeah, game on a Wednesday I, afternoon. I know. I'm back. I'm backwards here. Uh, Glenn Robinson, geez. Because the other teams he was linked to were both the L.A. teams in Utah, and this is a minimum non-guaranteed contract. Like, he would have got those same offers from these other teams. I mean, unless he prefers being a veteran presence, you know, which maybe that's the case. Like, he knowingly went on to that Golden State team. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's definitely – what makes sense to me is that he saw a greater opportunity for minutes in Sacramento. And you'd have to, you know, have pretty good confidence in that thing, that contract over the other three options. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear as day that this is about minutes. I, I, I just don't. I, but for I white side too. Obvious. I mean, like to me, it's obvious. Like, wh- wh- why? Like, you don't think that white side could have gotten a minimum deal somewhere else if he if he wanted it? Yeah, he could have. I, I yeah, I just don't know. I mean, it was so late into free agency for both of these guys. It's not like they were hot commodities, you know. Right. And I mean, just because it's late doesn't mean that he can't, like I'm saying, to get a minimum somewhere, right? Like without without yeah. the guarantee of playing time. Right. He could have gotten that somewhere else. But I, I suspect yeah. that there's more playing time in Sacramento. Yeah, probably. Um, 
yeah, I, I'm just hoping that, you know, it's not a situation, and this is where it would get bad, obviously, where there is a, a, a promise or something like this because there needs to be minutes where Bagley gets backup center spots, you know, which obviously we run into a little bit of a problem. Right. And, and I know you, you expressed that on the episode with Greg, and I thought that's a really good point. And it's, you know, Bryant West of the Kings Herald tweeted about that immediately. And I share that fear that it's not so much minutes in general to Whiteside, but it's center minutes. Um, that could be going to Marvin Bagley. Yeah, that's really what it is. I'm not like, I mean, Holmes should be in the rotation over Whiteside, and I don't feel like Whiteside's cutting into those minutes. It's for sure just taking away center minutes from Bagley. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, it's less of, I do feel like Bagley's a center, but I'm not set in stone with that yet. But I do think that he needs to be experimented at it, both power forward and center spots. So if that doesn't happen, that's one of the failures of the season for me. And even if even if like you give him plenty of minutes before, it's like it's not like Hassan Whiteside's a good fit with him. Like I guess he can protect the rim no. defensively, but like if there's no stretch to his game, like Bagley's going to be point. crowded crowded paint like constantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely a better fit with Bielitsa. Um, so, yeah, good point there. I mean, like I- I've said that I felt fine with Whiteside if he's coming and playing like an Alex Len role, but you know, Alex Len got 15 minutes a night uh, per game, and Hassan Whiteside, on the other hand, when I'm trying to kind of make my minute rotation and I look at his career, I mean, he played 30 minutes per game last year, and then the year before, 23, which is the lowest since. 20 since he's played in Sacramento actually since he came back from China yeah. and like I just don't think that there's a way that Hassan Whitehead should be playing upwards of 22 minutes a game I was literally I have that page open right now I was that was the next point I wanted to bring up is like the people that are like oh it's no big deal he'll play you know eight or ten or 12 minutes a game no he's not like he's absolutely not going to do that uh, he just came off playing 30 minutes a game. He hasn't played, like you said, less than 23.3 uh, minutes per game since he returned to the NBA in 2014. Like, there is no chance that he just signed with the Kings with the intention to play less than 10 minutes per game. I, I, I would bet anything on that. Like, Yeah. Getting- less than 10, I'm with you, but do you think it's crazy he plays, like, 15 minutes a night? I mean, he's a backup center, and, like, are you humbled a bit by your contract now compared to what it was before? I mean, 15 is reasonable. Uh, I think it's on the low side. I think, like, he's pretty comfortably, like, 15 to 20. Um, like, bare minimum 15. Uh, and yeah. and, and <laughs> just not, like, thrilled with that, honestly. Um, and, and, like, all right, so here's the other aspect of this, right? In a vacuum, it's not that risky to, okay, well, you know what, he's – you know he's a he's a he's a guy that's that's played 23 to 30 minutes a night for the past six years. Okay, it's not like a disaster to to have him play 15 minutes, right? But then think about Luke Walton as part of this concept, <laughs> and think about like that's where everything goes bad. Yeah, think about the first of all the questionable decision making of Luke Walton so far, and the fact that we all agree, and when I say we, everyone outside of the Kings. <laughs> agrees that he's on the hot seat. Um, and what do hot seat coaches do often? 
they play their bets in an attempt to save their job. Yeah, which is, like, one of the few ways, you know, coming into this, we laid out, like, a best and worst outcome for the season. And, I, I mean, it was a little difficult to kind of do a worst, but the it definitely entails the vets playing over, you know, crucial developmental, developmental minutes, specifically eyeing Bagley. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think Woodard should be thrown in there as well and, and Halliburton a bit as well. Right. Um, and then there's this thought of the the value the value of a locker room veteran, right? Um, I hate to break it to everyone, but this is not that. Like this is like Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Sorry. Like sorry. Like he. It like I, you know I mentioned like the I, I mentioned <laughs> the potential for. Um, I guess what's the term when you're you're helping someone mentoring? Uh, like yeah. I, I I like Bogdanovich is a very experienced veteran who is very very good, has been very very successful, and is getting paid and is not okay. So that's let's talk about the payment for a second because these guys are fighting for a role in the league. That's not the type of guy that mentors the kids that could take their place. The guy that's getting eighteen million a year, um, that's a different story, right? You you know, you're trying to grow something within your team. You are set for life. You're comfortable for life. You have a four year deal. Well Hassan Whiteside's made enough bank though. Well, he's also bought a lot of cars with it. Like <laughs> the, the guy that is famous right. for having his fifty thousand dollar assault assault rifle stolen out of his uh well, I gotta. I hold on. I gotta just look up this. Uh, well, this is solid. I haven't. You heard haven't this heard one. this one? No. Let me look this up. Wow. I, I forget yeah. the car that it was stolen out of here. The contract from yeah, four years, ninety-eight million. It's insane. Um. Miami okay. Fell real so good. okay. Yeah. Thief steals Hassan Whiteside's fifty-thousand-dollar assault rifle from his <laughs> unlocked Rolls Royce. Um, yeah, this is nice. your. This is the. This is the veteran mentor. You. You think that this is gonna work? Like this is the guy. Yeah. Right. And you know effort issues, and you're gonna put him next to Bagley. Like who is he even mentoring? It had. It have to be Bagley, right? Yet you're not gonna give him center minutes because Whiteside's there. And let me throw out like the Holmes thing. Like I, there's a very real chance that Hassan Whiteside ends up starting at some point for this team, and. I don't think that he ever should. Like, I think that, like, there's an outside chance that Rashawn Holmes' minutes get, get cut into here. I'm, like, mad at the idea. Uh, but you know it's now. true. Like, you know this is a risk. There's a chance. Like, yeah, I want to go sure. back to the, the point that I'm – this is number four, that there's no risk inside. Like, there's risk. Yes, there is. And – yeah, so you're saying this risk is that it takes away from these other minutes and, and kind of builds this whole internal battle. Well, the risk is that, A, these guys get minutes that should be going to other players. B, that they aren't the that they aren't the mentors that you could have actually signed mentors. Like you could have, like the opportunity cost of you could have gone after, I don't know, a Garrett Temple, a Jared Dudley, or, yeah, you know, they're, they're just – Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson is still out there. That he, I – Yes, thank you, Brennan. He was the guy that I was thinking of when I was going on a walk earlier. I'm like, Taj Gibson would have been an infinitely better signing than Hassan Whiteside. Yeah. 
And and the other risk of just yeah. Well, sorry, uh, you do need a little bit of center rotation. Like I guess like I don't know. I guess I mean I'm not really trying to win games anyways. Give Tosh Gibson. Well, there's minutes. the other risk. I mean, isn't there a, okay, isn't there a risk? Is he really winning you games? Well, that, you just said it. And yes, like I'm not saying that Hassan Whiteside's going to win you more games than a good basketball player, but he's going to win you more games than a G League flyer, and he just is. He just yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, a few. He'll win you more games uh, than I'm with you. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, Greg touched on it. The way I'm comfortable with the team really winning games this year is, is if it's on the shoulder of shoulders of the young guys, Fox Bagley, Halliburton, you know, even maybe healed a bit to raise his value. Yeah, I mean, I would love that too, but, like, I'm just saying you're – it's you could have picked a lane. You could have been like, look, we're going to sign Taj Gibson because he is a grade-A dude and – he is so experienced, and he has no history of having assault rifles stolen from his Rolls Royces. <laughs> um, like, yeah, he might accidentally win us a few more games, but we believe that there's a development um, that he can, you know, he can contribute to the development of our young guys. And then there's the other way you could go, where it's like, you know what, we're taking a flyer on this guy who was a second round pick last year, um, or like a Thon McCurr, or like, you know, a whoever, right? And or you know we're gonna play we're just gonna play a ton of small ball, and we're gonna give we're gonna be experimental and we're gonna try Barnes at the five. We're gonna try a lot of Bagley at the five. We're gonna try a little Robert Woodard small ball five maybe in small minutes. You know like things like that. Um, and then yeah, there's like yeah we're gonna lose a bunch of games, but that will help our draft stock. This is just like the. This is just like to me, it's the worst of all worlds, and I'm I'm specifically talking about Whiteside there, but I think you can throw Kaminsky kind of into this. Generally speaking, obviously, like not not nearly as risky in any way. You like take every every aspect of that down like 90, percent but it still is like not. You're still choosing a 27 year old dude who's probably not a great mentor and is fighting for minutes and fighting to keep his career alive, and also doesn't have any upside. Yeah. Yeah. So, what what's the other side of it? The positive here that he's fine in a in a small role and he plays that role well somewhere between fifteen to twenty minutes, which is still probably a little bit more than I would like. Um, and he plays that well. Yet, you know, Sacramento is still losing games, but he allows the young guys to just play with a little bit of more defensive freedom because they have a somewhat okay anchor, I guess, back there. And, you know, this is a little bit of a stretch. And then he gets you a second rounder at the deadline, right? Uh, I mean, I don't even see that. Roberts uh, For Robinson, I legitimately see a second rounder in the future yeah. for him. Like, legitimately, I think that he gets you that. And then that's about – you know, weighing the risk of is he taking too many minutes from Jeffries, James, whatever, um, yeah. you know, versus that. And that's probably a net win. Like I gave that – I graded each transaction. I gave that signing a B. I think it's a good signing. Mm-hmm. I, think you will, I think you will get more than you risked, right? Like the, the positives outweigh the negatives. For Whiteside, that's straight F for me. I don't – like maybe you get a stay-around pick, but if you do – 
I don't even think that that outweighs the potential risks here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not all upset about it. I don't know about an F. Like, I'd probably go D. I still am with you with the negatives for sure. Um, but, you know, I think that worst case, I mean, if it's one year and he's all disgruntled and um, demanding minutes, I mean, can't you just kind of tell him no and you just wait out the year? So, yeah, this is my last point on this number four. Uh, like, it, I don't think you can just do that. I don't think you can just cut these guys. I don't think you can just tell them no and sit your ass on the bench. I think that there's – you have to consider the agent relationships and you have to consider the fact that Sacramento is already super tenuous in terms of their ability to attract free agents. If you sign Whiteside and his agent's like, look, they, they told us that Whiteside's going to get 18 minutes a game and and now they haven't given him shit and they're, now they're going to cut him. Um, you know, this is bullshit. Like, I, I think that's right. not a good thing. I think the optics are bad. Not to mention that all these guys, every guy that's under one new deal, as is is written law in the CBA, they automatically get no trade clauses. So it's not like that. Like, I understand, like, it, maybe they all would want out. Just like I, I think with Bogey, the no trade clause isn't a big deal. It's not a big deal. But they also get to kind of swing their power around with that. Like, you know, if he doesn't want to get traded somewhere, you can't just trade him. It's not like he's a trade ship, unless he wants to be. Right. And and Whiteside's the one where, where this hurts him with you there. I mean, I think that's the negative one. And then uh, Glenn Robinson is, it, to me, again, these rookies are going to take time to kind of need to adjust. And I think Daquan can kind of be the third small forward um, for now behind Robinson. And then once – uh, he presumably gets moved at the deadline because I'm with you. I think that that one has a real chance to get you back some second-round level asset. Um, and then, you know, maybe Woodard's able to step into a little bit of a larger role alongside Jeffries. Uh, but Whiteside's the concern. And, and the situation you laid out, I mean, would revolve around the issue being promised minutes, which I, I'm with you on where you see that possibly being what has happened here, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that there's risk in signing all three of these guys. The Kaminsky risk is very low because it's not guaranteed. You can cut him. I just think there that creates a potential for a bad optic. There's some risk, and there's some risk mm-hmm. that Walton will love him and play him a bunch. Um, there's some risk with, with Robinson even, where I, I think that he's obviously the best signing here, but I do think – you know, Jeffries is a lot younger. You have a you have full team control over him going forward. You've got a team option next year. Like this is a guy that you should invest time into. And it's not like he's a rookie. Like there's a lot of people out there screaming like, well, you, you know, you don't get it. Like player development isn't just throwing rookies into the fire. Well, most of the guys I'm talking about developing aren't rookies. Like, Daquan Jeffries is a grown-ass man who's, you know, been playing in, in the G League for a full year and has, has NBA minutes, uh, you know, playing a real role. Like, this guy doesn't need G, the, the summer league. Like, that, he's he's good to go here. Like, you can see what you have in him. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not – I don't need Glenn Robinson to come in here and, and, and like, mold him. Glenn Robinson's going to come in here and, like, fight for his spot in the league. I, I don't – I get it. Like, I even saw someone on Twitter saying, like, hey, our rookies need good players to go up against in practice. That's not why you make free – you don't sign free agents 
so that they have good players to play against in practice. That is wild, wild nonsense. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, there were spots, you know, the rotation just needed to be filled out a little deeper. Um, but, yeah, I mean, not necessarily specifically the wide side signing the one that I would have uh, necessarily gone out and grabbed to fill those minutes. So this leads to number five pretty pretty nicely. I like how this is all kind of flowing together. Number five theory that I think is is bullshit is that rookies need to earn minutes. I don't, I'm not. I don't agree. I think that there are many, many rookies that have just gotten minutes because of the situation that they're in, and have thrived and become assets. Even guys that, you know, aren't first round picks. Um, you know, I was just looking at like any of the rookies in the past few drafts that have played a lot of minutes from the second round. Like, yeah, I, I'm sure they're not prepared, and I'm sure it's a slightly different, slightly different situation because they got summer league, but. Again, like, what's Summer League? It's a week of games, a couple weeks of games, if you, you know. I I don't think it's that big of a deal, and, like, you can throw them into the fire. I'm not saying it's the ideal situation, but this whole thing is like, well, you know, like, oh, Robert Woodard, he needs Glenn Robinson. He needs to to beat him for minutes, because if he can't, then, like, he doesn't deserve the minutes. That's bullshit. Um, I was looking at, like, you know, it's interesting there's a couple of Villanova guys here, but Eric Pascal got a ton of minutes last year. Second-round pick, guess what? He's an asset now. <clears throat> right. Jalen Brunson, the year before that, Jalen Brunson got a ton of minutes. There's no one ahead of him. Uh, guess what? Like, he's an asset now. Yeah. Mitchell uh, Robinson. Mitchell Robinson, like, the the, the veteran of, ahead of Mitchell Robinson was Ennis Cantor. He's not the re- – Ennis Cantor's competition is not the reason that Mitchell Robinson is a really high-level asset now. Right. I, I would say that I think it could go both ways because I, I think that kind of person-to-person, some benefit from having to work their way into the lineup and some benefit just kind of being thrown into the fire and learn as you go. And I think that it's going to be hard to tell player to player. But to me, like, if if the idea is still that these guys are temporary and then the rookies will work their way into those minutes, I think it's fine. Um, I don't think that, you know, the argument is it's a good signing because of that, but I think that that is a fine situation for the rookies to be in on either side of that to me. Yeah, I, I, that's, I'm not saying the specific opposite, that rookies must always be thrown into the fire. But I'm saying that this general... Like, that sort of talk is the talk that we have had disdain for in the past, where, you know, Bagley's yep. not getting a lot of minutes. That's what destroyed the the Brandon Williams and Dave Yeager situation, not wanting to play. You know, there was all these leaks about, oh, we need Bagley to get more minutes. That's what eventually destroyed the best team that's played in Sacramento in the last 15 years. That's what ended up ousting right. Brandon Williams. That's what ended up ousting Dave Yeager. Um, like, you know, I just don't – I don't think that that sort of talk like, like oh, rookies need guys to compete against. The, they need years to grow. It's just not the way of the league. Like, if you look around and you look at the, the rookies that have surprised and have done well, most of them got a pretty big opportunity early on. They're, it's kind of hard to find rookies that, you know, took three or four years. It happens in some places. There's certainly some really good teams that take that approach, and it works. San Antonio – like tends to not play their rookies that much, and it, it works because they're a squad of geniuses. You know, it's all geniuses in right. the San Antonio front office. But especially if you're playing 
guys like Whiteside or, or like, you know, one-year minimum deals, like these guys that come in and, oh, I, we're just – it's just a second-round pick farm. That's not a very respectful thing to do to, to these rookies. You know, give them a chance. Um, and not to mention, like, I don't think you needed these veterans anyway. Like, there were if you had just – if you had just – there's veterans on this team. Corey Joseph's a veteran. Buddy Heald's a veteran. Uh, Nemanja Bielitz's a veteran. Uh, Rashawn Holmes is a veteran. If you had matched on Bogdanovich, he's a veteran. Like, there was plenty. It's not like, oh, no, we need – we need to get some older guys in here. Like there, there are older dudes in here. Yeah, I, I don't think that that argument is anything for why, you know, um, Glenn Robinson or Hassan Whiteside or even if you want to throw Kaminsky in that group are are good signings. Um, I think that that situation can work out just fine for the rookies and it not hurt them down the line. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I'll have to dive into what some rookies are that kind of fit that example of not just kind of being handed it right away, like. I mean, I think of like a Boston situation, Jalen Brown, but I mean, you're talking like a third overall pick that was still given minutes and then the minutes he's taking out is closing games because that's a team that was actually trying to win games at the time, which I think if you and I were in charge, it probably wouldn't be our game plan this year. And who knows if that's what the plan is. And if that is, that's probably a whole different issue. But yeah, there's different definitions of kind of earning your minutes. And I think the rookies can still work out fine in that situation, but it doesn't make these signings good in any way. It doesn't. Um, like Romeo Langford, you know, with your Boston Celtics, like he's not getting he's not getting anything for minutes, and he probably won't again. I heard you know people talking. He may not even you know he's gonna maybe you know start in the G League again. Uh, right. Fourteenth overall pick, and it's like there's a certain point where it's like you know he may have already been an asset by now, like a good asset if he had played. So I'm not saying that there's the one way to do it. But I, I think that stance of, you know, that they need to be developed slowly over time, like, there's, they're just my, – that's my whole point is that there isn't one way to do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. And you could if you end up – like, Robert Woodard especially, a guy that we're very high on and is not a young rookie. Like, I think, you know, with Ramsey, I never wanted Ramsey to, like, get big minutes, period in the NBA in his first year. Like, you know, he's 18. He's got a lot of developing to do. Um, But, like, Robert Woodard absolutely, I think, could have handled some minutes and easily become a stronger asset than whatever, Frank Kaminsky, Glenn Robinson even. Yeah, and Woodard is some of the minutes that when I kind of laid out a rotation to me, it probably clears up for him when Glenn Robinson gets moved, and I'm just kind of making the assumption that that happens at the deadline. So if that doesn't, I mean – it's a little interesting where any spots at the three or four clear up for him. I mean, is Jabari Parker ahead of him in the rotation? Because he certainly should be, shouldn't be. And, you know, Daquan Jeffries, I have placed in front of him at the small forward rotation. Um, and obviously you want him to get developmental minutes as well. So, yeah, to me, I think that Woodard, you know, hopefully gets some opportunity when, when GR3 is – um, moved on from, and I do want to give a, a little bit of credit. I mean, the the water the Woodard contract that they just inked in is a pretty good deal for Sacramento. I think you know second rounders you negotiate the contract, and they ended up settling on a uh, four year six point seven million dollar deal, um, starting one point five million. And yeah, I mean it's it's fine value. You know, it's less than what the thirtieth pick Desmond Bain was making in year one. Uh, 1.9 million, and I think you and I both had Woodard pegged as 
first-round talent and to lock him up for four years is, you know, it, it's a little bit of marginal work, but I think it's nice work by the Kings. No, that's great work by the Kings. Um, I think, you know, going back to the draft, like I know we've kind of separated out free agency from the draft. Like I've said over and over again, the draft is, you know, couldn't have gone better. I, I think they deserve an A, and if we're giving out A-pluses, screw it. I mean, give them an A-plus for the draft. Um, but then again, it's like that's Ken Cantonella doing great work on the contracts, and right. and and the picks themselves are a little bit fortuitous as to who fell, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, credit to them for making the right calls, but I also I, I've yet to see sort of I don't know. I don't want to just necessarily give a standing ovation. Um, but, yeah, no, like what you mentioned leads into my next point as well. So we're getting near the end here, number six, um, that Whiteside, Kaminsky, and Robinson are just replacements for the vets that will be traded. Now, this is actually Tim Maxwell's theory. Uh, mm-hmm. Podcast, King's Herald, writer, baby giraffe. Um that's his theory. He, th- he thinks that these guys are being signed specifically to fill a role for the vets that will be traded. Um, I think that Tim is great. Tim is very smart. But I think he's almost too smart for his own good here, where he I think he's creating a narrative that is just not there, that's just unnecessary. Um, and he it may be giving a little too much credit to his, it's, it, I mean, if he just didn't call it a theory and he just called it like a hope, like this is what I hope is happening, then I would get that. But I don't think that this theory like holds any weight. And I think a lot of people on Twitter are grabbing onto it and being like, oh my gosh, finally something that makes these findings make sense. And I get that urge because I think that these are there's a lot of nonsensical stuff going on. Uh, but like a lot of desperate Kings fans, they a lot of desperate hope. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I just I think it's a weak theory only because anyone would would you know confirm this theory. Like it's it's reverse engineered to where you could you could have signed a point guard, a shooting guard, small forward, power forward center like it still would have made sense like in this theory like oh, we signed a point guard, that's because they're going to trade Kojo. You know, we signed a shooting guard it's because they're going to trade Buddy. We signed a small forward it's because they're going to trade Barnes. Small, you know, signed a power forward you're going to trade Belly, signed a center, are going to trade Rashawn Holmes. I don't think that that's a super sound way to construct a theory. Um, and, and like, the bigger issue for this to me is that we're making such massive assumptions that, what, are, are five trades going to get made? Are, are three trades going to get made? Just the ones, and then Whiteside, Kaminsky, and Robinson will replace them? Does that just mean Bielitsa, Holmes, and Barnes are gone? And like the, the the leap of faith that it would take to assume, okay, well this this front office is going to sign these guys because they're confident they can make three trades when they haven't been able to make any so far, it's too much for me. Yeah, it's probably giving Monty a little more credit than deserved at this point, but I think that you know the logical idea is that you do look to move on from a. Buddy Barnes, Bielitsa, um, this coming season, and that you know maybe maybe those guys can fill some of those minutes, but I struggled to get to you know they were signed specifically for that reason. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I think the idea is that you're moving on from those guys, and I guess some of those guys could fill in some of those minutes, but I don't know. Yeah, I struggled to get that the signings were specifically for that reason. I think it could end up working out that way, um, but, like, it's going to take a little bit of time to move on from these anyways. You know, you're going to get players in return that maybe could fill those minutes um, individually there, so... Yeah, I struggle with it a little bit, but I think I think it's kind of what you're saying, you know, just looking for hope in, in what the next steps are and just holding on to threads of optimism that any Kings can uh, Kings fan can find after the whole Vlade experience and hoping Monty's will feel different. Yeah, and I just am confused as why it even makes sense, like, if that did happen. So, like, say, say you trade Bailey to... Like, do you really need Frank Kaminsky to, like, no. step into that role? I don't, it's just confusing to me. Like, why not have Woodard take those minutes? Like, at that point, say you're near the deadline, like, why wouldn't he – why wouldn't this guy you've committed to for four years, why not – you know, he's been in camp now. He's been in, you know, practices with an NBA team for this long. Can he really not have the eight minutes behind – you know, Bagley and Barnes? Like, I don't understand. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, I mean, do you think that this maybe could potentially point to a bigger issue where, you know, I think that the best path specifically for me is to lose games next year and maybe that's not exactly the goal or maybe they're just trying to you know sign guys that like look competent but aren't really going to make a difference yeah I absolutely do and this is that again you've led perfectly into my final theory here that I don't agree with which is that McNair has a clear vision for this team I see this I see the word vision and Monty McNair in the same sentence everywhere. I've seen it in dozens of comments on the Kings Herald. I've seen it probably a hundred times on Twitter. I've heard every podcast, every like everyone is talking about McNair's vision. What vision? Like I get that he could have one and we hope that he does. But just based on like what has actually occurred what is the vision? Like, is it not muddy? Is it not confusing? Is it not, you know, are, are these are these not like contradictory concepts where you, you're letting the talented veteran go in Bogdanovich, but you're signing less talented veterans? But just are you tanking? Are you not tanking? 
are you just treading water? Are you on, are you like, what people keep talking about Martin McNair's vision. Like, what is it? I think that, well, I'm with you that like, you know, the idea is that he should have a vision in place and that's what you hope for. Right. And I think it's, I feel fine saying that he probably does have a vision for the team, but we don't know what it is at this point. I think the one that I could point to would be just focused on the future rather than just what's going on this next season, which is very general. But, I mean, like seeing the package that was worked up for Bogey was focused around a younger future player that could point towards retooling around Fox. You know, they did prioritize – I don't know. I, I guess I don't know how much you can put into the draft because number 12 isn't very telling. And maybe you could say Ramsey being a young guy points towards the future. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's hard. I, I think that I feel fine saying that he has a vision, but we don't know what it is right now from this. I just know that he's not trying to win out next year. Or I think that there would have been different moves made that were more aggressive in order to do that, such as keeping bogey. Yeah, I, I'm i fine with it if we're saying, like, we hope and pray and believe that he has a vision that we have not seen. But if it's anything other than that, like, because I see a lot of people saying, like, he is doing things to execute his plan, and it's clear what his plan is. Disagree. Like, I just don't see it at all. I mean, I think that if we're, we're – I think we're going – I think that Kings fans are doing – advanced acrobatics to to make sense of where this team is headed, to make sense of the of not matching bogey, to make sense of signing Hassan Whiteside. I, I again like to just to touch on our on our very first our opening here, none of this stuff is catastrophic. None of this stuff is outright bad. None of it is outright good. It's kind of all meh. It's a C minus. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, like, let's stop. We don't need to – I just feel like I'm talking to, like, a friend of mine who is, like, settling in their life for something that is, is not good enough for them. And I'm like, look, you don't need to settle for this. Like, you can ask for more. You can hold yourself and the people around you to a high standard. You can go get that, that job you really want. You can, you know, you can date the girl or guy your dreams. Like, you can you can get the things that you want. You don't need to settle for whatever – this is that you're settling for and telling yourself this is like all you can get. Like, you know, you can, you can, you can ask for more than Monty McNair has done so far. That's the um, headliner with the Rocky music right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that there is, or, or do you want to kind of wrap that up? Do you have a little more on it? Just to wrap up the point on McNair, like I think that instead of doing the acrobatics, we can just look at reality and look at and use Occam's razor to find the most obvious and like you know the Occam's razor thing what that's the saying where you know usually what's happening is the most obvious thing and like we don't need to like come up with the the way that I remember it is from watching Scrubs uh and there's a a part of that where it's like you know you when you hear uh when you hear what is it when you hear hooves running you you think it's probably horses you don't think it's probably zebras because it's a less common, like a more extreme mm-hmm. thought process to assume that there are zebras outside or whatever. Like, I think that a lot of Kings fans are hearing zebras when really what's going on is Monty McNair is trying to save a bunch of money because the Kings are in a precarious financial situation with COVID. And 
they also were trying to sign the best the best players they can on minimum deals because that accomplishes what their their goals are. It's that they have a twofold goal: save money and be good. If you can do both, that's the goal, right? Like you know, balance balance like improving the team and saving money. Um, that's what they're trying to do. I, I don't think there's anything more to it than that. And I, I think that they, if that's their goal, everything they've done makes sense. Sign Hassan Whiteside to a minimum deal. Now suddenly that makes sense because you didn't want to spend any money, but you also wanted to get the best player you could for the money. Same thing with Glenn Robinson. Same thing with Frank Kaminsky. Same thing with not matching bogey. Like that all lines up to me, and it adds up like in in the macro sense when you think of what the Kings' ownership and what the Kings' you know financials probably need yeah i mean so to me like the the clear goal or direction for myself would be you know focusing on getting another draft asset in this upcoming year and i I think that a lot of people would point towards that and i don't think that any of the signings stop you from from achieving that goal if that's kind of your long-term success plan but also there would have been Obviously, other ways to have gone to giving you a better chance at one of the at securing a difference maker in the upcoming draft. So I, I think that's where a little bit of the optimism comes in. I think that people have, you know, that drawn as as the clear next step, and it's like, okay, well, none of this is going is really prohibiting that from happening. But at the same time, we have no proof that you know that that's Monty's current vision. And, yeah, no, and I'm with you. Like, we all hope that. I hope to God that's true. But we also, yeah, like you said, like, we're, that's based on literally nothing. <laughs> like, if you told me that, you know what, uh, like, secretly behind closed doors, they want to hang on to Buddy Helix. They think he's a really good player. And they they want to hang on to Harrison Barnes because they, they think he's an incredible vet, incredible locker and presence. They don't feel like they can go spend that money better, more wisely that they think that his contract is going to be very tradable in a few years when it's one year, $16 million or whatever. Like, and, and like, if you told me that like, okay, I, I've been inside their conversations and they have no interest in trading Harrison Barnes right now, I would say, okay, that makes sense too. Like if you're, it, I, I wish, I wish that their primary goal were to, to tear things down to tank. But if they're thinking, Hey, we need Darren Fox to have something around him because we we need to maximize his development. We need to make him look good. We need to keep him happy. He's the franchise. We need to, you know, have some semblance of a team by the time that we can sell tickets again, whatever, whatever. You know, we don't want to scare Darren off. Yeah, I know we just we paid him a million, a million, million dollars, uh, you know, whatever it is, $158 million or whatever. But we don't want him to, to go all Anthony Davis on us in a couple seasons. Like, we have no idea. And, and I think to project our each individual, like, hopes and dreams and, and to say that's McNair's vision is, is what a lot of people are doing. And I think it's just – I think it's just – I would recommend just, you know, let's settle down. Um, you know, McNair, McNair's yeah. not done anything out of the box so far. He's not done anything cutting edge. He's decided not to pay for a good player, and he's signed some bargain deals in free agency, and that's fine. But let's just let's all settle down with the uh, McNair vision stuff. Yeah, you get excited when there's not a 
you know, bad deals going on in the offseason after the history with uh, with Vlade. So, yes, I'm with you, but at the same time, he hasn't done anything to hinder the future of the franchise. Um, so, yeah, you know, a little bit of an undecided grade that we'll see as time progresses. You know, maybe some of these guys end up on the trade market. Um, did you want to kind of close with a best and worst outcome of this season or maybe save that for a little later? We've kind of ran long here. Uh, no, I don't mind running long. Um if you don't, I don't know. We're I know we're a little long, but I, I that's I think that's now that we've like looked at every every move and like looked at the potential pro and con of every move. Yeah, I mean like yeah, let's get into best and worst. I, I also asked you to um kind of find a rotation or whatever and I did that as well. I don't know if we need to get into it, but the point I was gonna make with that is that I I honestly think that our rotation might have been I think the team might have been better two weeks ago, but um, we can skip over that. Let's get to what's like, let's start with, should we do positive? Let's let's start with positive. What's the the best case? I feel like the positive is really obvious. What's the best case scenario? Well, so for the season, or are you talking about like with the off-season acquisition? Um, I think like the best case scenario uh, that like of, of all the moves that have been made. So like, this is this is what's happened. This is what's transpired. We pretty much the offseason is over. Pretty much, again, mm-hmm. could be a trade, could be whatever. But like this, we we just got a bunch of new information. Drafted Tyrese Halliburton, Robert Woodard, Jemias Ramsey. Um, you know, let Bogey walk. Signed a couple. You know, whatever vets for a minimum. How does this like? What's the best case scenario? So yeah, like I do want kind of like a like. Do the Kings win a bunch of games? Do they lose a bunch yeah. of games? Do they even well, a couple of years down the road? Like, how does this play out? If it, if this, if we look back on this offseason and are like crushed it, what when what would have to occur? I mean, like clear best case scenario for me is the top three pick in the next draft. So I think that that means developmental minutes and you know really I think the whole season and this is a little further than this offseason is. A lot of it has to do with Marvin Bagley staying healthy and getting minutes on the floor. And, again, I think those need to be a little bit experimental. I'm not about the whole small forward thing, but I think he should get power forward and center minutes. Um, And that obviously means Whiteside being okay with a little bit of a lesser role. And I think that Glenn Robinson um, gives you minutes at the three and the four, and he gets you an asset at the deadline, and and you try for Whiteside. But I'm fine with saying that, you know, he probably doesn't pull you anything. Um, as long as Bagley's still able to get developmental minutes at the three, um, and really this team, you know, Fox is able to um, get more comfortable setting other players up and getting maybe a little more takeover minutes. Like you really just get developmental minutes for the young guys, and you're still not winning games while managing, you know, massive egos that you have that come with an NBA locker room and dealing what's what's available to you. Um, so when it comes to the offseason guys, yeah, I, I mean, shipping them out at the deadline and, and continuing development while, like, tanking indirectly pretty much. And does that feel, like, realistic to you? I think it does. I mean, like, it, it's a little over the top to think about all these assets that you are getting in return. Like I said, you're probably getting, what, like a second rounder for Glenn Robinson. And, you know, I probably don't get as many center Bagley minutes as I'd like. Um, but injuries happen and maybe opportunities come up. Um, I, I think it's realistic to think for a top 
five pick and, you know, Bagley to just stay a little healthy and even just getting minutes at the four, obviously, would be huge. Yeah. I guess best case scenario would be, like, Buddy Heald gets traded for a first-round pick. And then kind of therefore the Kings drop into that top three. Yeah, and and I think that there's there's – other things that could get you okay assets, like mainly looking at Bielitsa, I think, is another uh, piece that should be moved on from before he just ends up walking for nothing. Yeah. You want to do worst case, too, or should we just end on the best case? No, no, no. You give me worst case. Okay. I mean, worst case scenario is that this team kind of does what it's always done, is like ending up, you know, not really competitive for a playoff spot, even with 10, 10 playoff spots uh, or playoff play-in spots and not getting a top five pick. Um, basically, like, you know, Fox is very good, but you just lost, um, you know, Bogdanovich, who maybe could have gotten you in that top 10, um, but you lose him for nothing. So, like, but, but you're not able to move off Buddy so you can't get down into the into the muck and the mire of like the the top three, right? So like mm-hmm. Buddy is a little too good, um, you know. Basically, that white side is a little little too competent, right? Um, that you're not able to move off of Bielitsa because he's just expiring now. Like maybe you move him at the at the deadline for a second round pick, but you lost a lot of value by not trading him previously when he could have been, you know waived in the second year when there was a non-guarantee attached to it that um, you know GR3 comes in and you know takes a lot of minutes uh, Daquan Jeffries doesn't develop Wooders develop you know doesn't get a lot of minutes early on maybe Kaminsky even takes some minutes there they try to play Parker to give him a little bit of a showcase and try to get I don't know someone to, to take him and basically like you know, none of the young guys are really developed except for Halliburton. Um, and, and like, you're, you know, you're, you win, you're, you're trying, unlike a lot of teams, and you got Luke Walton trying desperately to win games, but you're not good enough, so you end up, you know, we're talking about, like, the eighth and ninth pick, and you miss out on some premium, premium talents, and then, you know, next year comes along, and you've got this cap space, and you can't do anything with it you you sign the bad player or you you know you spend a max deal on John Collins or something and, and you try to you know like you, you eventually if you have cap space you eventually got to use it and and uh I don't know that's that would be my concern as you get back on that treadmill of where you you just can't you can't commit to like doing what it takes to to make a playoff spot and you can't commit to doing what it takes to to tank and uh, it just turns into a eighth or ninth pick, and it's just very meh. Yeah, and I think they're kind of equally realistic, and it's a pretty big turning point, in my opinion, for this kind of like decade or this uh, series or rendition of Kings basketball with the Fox era, I guess you could call it right now, and a little bit of a make-it-break-it year for Bagley, and I think that they – really need to add another piece and you know there's a good chance I think that even if they do try they end up with a top five pick because I struggle to see how they're not a bottom three team in the 
in the West and, you know, maybe four teams above him in the East, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, could still get you to that 8-9 spot, and it, it would I, – I mean, that hurts, I, I think, a lot more than some people would realize, you know, having it again after another year of Fox under your belt or if you're not able to move on from these guys. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty big swing year for the direction of the franchise, but one that you just kind of got to wait out a little bit and get to watch some developmental minutes, you hope. So are you cheering for just losses every game? Pretty much, and just Bagley to be healthy. Yeah, that's rough, man. That's a rough situation. I mean, it sucks, but, like, I think that, you know, like, if your goal, eventual goal, is to be somewhat in the realm of contenders. And I don't think that, like, Fox would Fox would have to be your number two guy, you know, in, in that case. And I think that the draft is your only situation where you're going to get another number one. Yeah, I mean, I guess – I guess I'm with you. We'll just cheer for losses every single <laughs> week. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really, really tough. It's a tough, tough situation, man. And it's a tough sell to this crowd, too. Well, this that's what makes me sad is, like, it wouldn't have been. Like, this would have been the year to do it. You know, Will has said – Will came on – Will Griffith came on this podcast and said the same – said this point. It was a great point, like – this is the perfect year for a rebuild. Tear everything down. You know, start G Leaguers if you have to. Trade everything for assets. Any you know, any player over the age of twenty five, like, you know, milk second round, late first round picks out of it. Um, and who cares if you sell no tickets and you're awful? You get Cade Cunningham and like you don't lose any ticket sales because you couldn't sell any tickets to begin with. And this season might like legit collapse into a heaping pile of cinders because of the COVID and a non-bubble approach to COVID. Yeah, it's, uh, I I mean, I'm with you. I think that I would have preferred some, some flyers that guarantee you to lose a couple more games, but they're in an okay situation still. I think there's a chance that this works out and I'm just trying to stay optimistic. Yeah. I, I just hope that we can, I hope that we can lose just a ton of games, but also be so much fun. Like the, you know who, you know who would be great is like, I, I mean, any team that is just an amazing, like if we were the Atlanta Hawks of this year, where you just have crazy offense, no defense, and you get, uh, you know, you get a, and you get a Congo out of it, but even better because it's the, it's a much better draft, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely no complaints for me if that's the situation. Yeah, well, there's going to be coverage of everything going on at the King's Herald. Definitely go support independent King's coverage by checking out their Patreon. And we're going to keep the content coming here as training camp kicks off and not too far from preseason and the season itself to kind of keep tabs on most of the things we've ran through here and past off-season free agency and all that. So if you enjoy, definitely subscribe, um, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again here at King's Post in the next couple Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 
5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.